podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer-Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are starting with our season finale. You guys have seen this the last few years where we bring in everybody who is a KU-related guest and get them all on the podcast in the same episode to talk about their favorite, the biggest, the most important football, basketball, and then everything else story. Uh, we've done that again this year. We brought almost everyone back. We weren't able to get all of them. Uh, unfortunately, there were some conflicts for a few of the people. But we did bring a large number of those people back so that we could go ahead and get all of their their favorite stories. I will share my favorite story at the very end as well. But, uh, yeah, that's we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, we'll introduce every, every single one of them as we go. We'll take an ad break somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, it'll just throw it to ads really quick at that point, And then uh, I'll be back at the end. And I am joined by Jordan Gusky of the Topeka Capital Journal. Jordan. What do you think the biggest or your favorite story is for the football team for this year? Oh, am I allowed to pick Texas? Uh, that was the- oh, oh, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, look, I think there's going to be a lot of people that do pick Texas, and I know, I know, like, Texas is definitely kind of a big one. It won't be the overwhelming favorite that something like the national championship would be for basketball. So, so definitely go right ahead. Okay. Well, I, you know, I don't know about the word favorite, but it was definitely the most interesting um, – uh, moment to cover uh just i just remember after the game obviously i'm not a kansas fan so i'm just walking around just seeing what's going on after the game and there was so many texas fans that just looked like they were in shock about what just happened so that's something i still remember just the faces of some of those fans but really about about the game it was just a wild game to cover and and see and especially in person just about how quickly kansas jumped out and then texas making that huge comeback um, even at different times when you thought Kansas might have the game won, Texas still came back, forced overtime. Lance has the, you know, the confidence to go for two there. Uh, Jared Casey is the one who makes that catch. You got a quarterback who's supposed to be redshirting initially. He's the one who makes the pass. He's in there because of injuries. So there's just a lot going on with that game that made it really interesting to cover and uh, uh, definitely fortunate to be there in person for it as well. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things, like you said, like, I think that one game spawns so many different storylines for this team. Um, you know, the fact that they were able to take that big blow of, you know, getting out to a huge lead, Texas comes back, then they get out to another big lead, you know, multiple scores, Texas comes back again, forces overtime, Texas takes the lead and Kansas comes down and wins it. Um, but like, like that in and of itself, I think is something that we wouldn't have seen from this team. You know, against less or with with less miles coaching or or David Beatty coaching, like they had had times where, you know, they had gotten out to big leads and the other team comes back and you can just kind of see them deflate. Yeah, there was a little bit of that here. Like people were kind of worried going into this game. Uh, you know, in terms of when Texas started to come back, but you saw the fight, you saw them, you know, the confidence in what they were doing, and I thought that was really big. Like that that showed a big step forward, even if they hadn't been able to pull it off. I think. You know, I think we saw again with the next two weeks, like it wasn't just a fluke where they, they got out to a really big lead in Texas, you know, collapsed and wasn't able to come back. The fact that they were competitive against TCU and competitive against West Virginia in the final two games, even when, you know, things weren't really going well for them, you know, they had running backs that were out and, and, and a lot of stuff that really kind of, you know, hurt them quite a bit. They were competitive in those games. They were able to build off of what they did against Texas. I think that was a big story that came out of it. You talk about Jared Casey, and we kind of talked about that a little bit ago. Um, you know, in in the last time you're here about like what his story does and what that development is and all of that stuff. Um, you know, but then kind of what you're talking about too with, with Jalen Daniels supposed to be redshirting. Like they were still talking about keeping his redshirt intact. Like he could play the Texas game and still g- keep his redshirt. Um, but the fact that he played that well, and I'm sure the fact that you know those guys were still kind of injured going into the final two games. Um, helped to make that decision somewhat, but after he played that well, for them to completely burn his red shirt at that point because of how well he played, you know, 
is is a big deal. It wasn't just like a, oh, well, we're going to play him because we have to. They had guys that I think they felt could have played those last two weeks, but he was so impressive and they wanted to build off of that momentum that Jalen Daniels gave them that I think you can look and just that one game has probably four or five different storylines, I think, that will kind of help with the with the entire program moving forward. And I'm joined now by Kyle Davis, our deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, um, here for the finale for, for football, what is the biggest or the best or your favorite story from Kansas football this season? Uh, is it cheating if I say, I'm going to say Jared Casey, but I'm not going to say, I mean, obviously the on-field stuff, but it, I think you're at the start of the NIL era. You have, there's all the talk when it comes to NIL about these, you know, these star players going to make millions of dollars and, you know, corrupting everything. And, and the whole thing was like, well, what about the, like the little guy or the walk-ons or whatever, like be able to make some bucks. And the fact that Jared Casey was the hero against Texas he got the Applebee's uh, deal is in the commercial with his parents of like the, you know, always go for two, you know, talking about like interviewing, getting to take his, take his teammates out using his like $800 gift card or whatever. Like the whole, the fact that Jared Casey became a thing and just like kind of the spirit of like the walk on from Kansas who makes the biggest catch of the season and play. And then also turns out like he keeps making plays and doing stuff like that. I don't know. I, I feel like that's, how can you not like that? But that, will still stand out to me for a while, I think. Yeah, I mean, and that is kind of like the dream story, right? Like, it's obviously not to the same degree, but like the, when everybody thinks of the, the movie Rudy, right? Like, that's what they're like thinking of. Like, that, that's what the story's supposed to be. Or it's, you know, a player that comes on and has a big, like, that story, what actually happened was not really that big of a deal. Like, it wasn't a player coming on and, and really kind of establishing himself and becoming a household name or anything like that. Jared Casey did that right here at Kansas. And because of NIL, because of the, the deal that he was able to go ahead and get with Applebee's, like all of that stuff that he was able to do, he became a household name. And that was the intent of NIL, right? Was for players to be able to capitalize on those moments, to be able to use the fame that they get from playing to be able to turn that into additional things, to get, to get their names out there, to benefit from that. That's exactly what, people were hoping for when NIL was passed. That's exactly what you're hoping for in terms of Kansas, you know, trying to find guys and develop them. And that's what Lance Leipold was known for, right? Was to have these guys on their roster that they develop, that they turn into good players. And Jared Casey is one of those guys now that is expected to be one of the main contributors coming into next year. Um, I think partly because of all the questions surrounding the wide receiver room, but also just the fact that, you know, he showed that he can, you know, he plays sound fundamental football. He, he knows how to get himself into the system. He obviously has the trust of Jalen Daniels and all of that. So yes, I think that was, that is like one of the better stories. It was honestly the one that I was hoping that somebody would pick out or that I would be able to highlight on my own. Um, so I'm glad that you went ahead and picked that one. And I'm joined now by Derek Johnson, host of Rock Chalk Sports Talk over uh, in Lawrence. Derek, how you doing? What is the the biggest, best, or your favorite story from the football team this year over at Kansas? I'm doing great. Hope you're doing the same. Um, for me, it was kind of the growth and what we saw of Jalen Daniels. And uh, you know, I can't I can't speak higher of a kid and, and it's hard not to root for him. It's hard not to want to see him succeed. Uh, you talk to him and he's just such a, a happy, bright kid that um, seems to get it. And you know, I remember talking to him before the season started. And, and at that point, you didn't really know who the quarterback was going to be. Is it going to be Miles Kendrick? Is it going to be Jalen Daniels? Is it going to be Jason Bean? And as like training camp went on, it started to feel like uh, I think Jalen had an injury or something, if I remember, um, that it was going to be, you know, Jason Bean or, or whoever. And um, I just remember talking to the kid and, and Jalen was so team first about, you know, if, if that's what they want me to do, if I'm going to be the backup, I'm going to try to be the best backup I can be. And I'm going to try to stay ready and I'm going to support my teammates and support the other quarterbacks. And, you know, sometimes you hear that and, and you almost feel like it's kind of that coach speak, like cliche, just mm-hmm. – give the right answer but with him you heard it and and you like believed it to be true and um it was so cool that we got toward the end of the season and that literally came to fruition he stayed ready he stayed you know kind of in that top of mind for 
um, getting ready week in, week out. And he had to make a personal sacrifice uh, by playing over those last couple games. He ended up in a situation where he couldn't take a red shirt from the year and you lose a, a possible year of eligibility, but he did it because it was best for the team to win some games or, or to try to win some games in the case of the Texas game, get a win and almost pull off some victories against TCU and West Virginia to finish out the season. And that was such a, I think, pivotal moment, not just for what the football program could become here, because, you know, obviously I think there are pretty high expectations for Jalen Daniels in, in accordance with maybe some other quarterbacks that we've seen over the recent years for KU and that he is a young guy and that for this team to kind of contend for making a bowl game in the next couple of years, the Lance Leipold era, like you kind of view him being the guy that can do that based on what we saw there. Um, but that was kind of the full circle moment for me. And to see that happen was really cool. And I'm excited to see what Jalen Daniels can possibly do with a full season ahead as the possible starter, because of the fact that I do feel like he has, you know, all those things that you're looking for. He has the arm strength. He has uh, gone through some of the experience stuff playing his first year when he probably wasn't ready yet behind an offensive line that would have made it for anybody that wasn't ready. And he bounced back last year. He looked like a different guy and just to, kind of come full circle there was such a cool moment for him. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, the fact that he had played the entire previous year, right, where they had an offensive line that he literally, I remember talking on the podcast, like, he literally, within two seconds of the ball being snapped, there was somebody in his face. So he was bailing out, trying to find a way, you know, that he could try to make a play happen, he could do that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he did not really get a good opportunity as a freshman. Um, and so the, you know, you saw coming into this year, the question was, is he going to be able to take the next step forward? And with Jason Bean transferring in, obviously you were kind of, you know, worrying about, uh, like, how does that all get set up? And, you know, and I mean, they, there was just so many questions. And Lance Leipold talked about how, you know, the this year was going to be, you know, looking for, like, the best floor. Whereas before... You know, Lance, I'm sorry, Les Miles and David Beatty and everyone before was like trying to find the guy with the highest ceiling, the, you know, the, the best peak that they could give you, not really recognizing the fact that this team was not set up to take advantage of the peaks of one of those guys that could actually, you know, have those huge monster games. If everyone else is having problems, then it doesn't matter how good your quarterback's playing if he can't get the ball out because he has pressure in his face. And so it was really one of those things where, they did everything that they needed to behind the scenes to allow Jalen Daniels that time to develop, to build back that confidence. Cause he came into his freshman year with a ton of confidence. And you could tell by the end of the year, he just like, he was shell shocked because of how many times he got hit. I, I don't know if it was actually was the record, but it felt like he had the record for the most hits by a quarterback. Um, which is kind of saying something because Kansas has had some really bad offensive lines in the past. And so the fact that he was able to stay ready, like you said, to be able to get himself to a point where he could come in late in the season when they absolutely had to have somebody due to injuries. Um, that was absolutely huge. You're right. It, like it showed that maturity. It showed him taking that step forward from the bright-eyed freshman who you know didn't turn 18 until I think with like four weeks left in the the um, end of the season for his first year. So yeah, I, I thought that was huge. Um, I was really happy to see him come in and get that win against Texas. And and of course, just the fact that while we all assume it's Jalen Daniels' you know job to lose at this point, and I think early indications from the spring preview are that you know it is Jalen Daniels, but it's that same mentality. Like they they have not for sure said that oh Jalen Daniels definitely has it unless he's injured or something else happens. Like he still has to go and actually earn that job. Um, you know, even though we all know how far he's matured, all the things that he can do, the fact that he's going to go out in summer camp, you know, in well in the in the fall camp and actually earn that position. Is going to be huge for this for this Jayhawk team. Yeah, I think that um, you know he's a guy that you look at, even though he hasn't been actually named the starter. And I, I know that's I, I think that's kind of coach stuff. Like you want to keep Jason Bean in, in the um, I guess competition here. And, and like I do believe if, if Jason Bean were to go out and just like dominate the competition, like he he would be the guy. But I just expect it to be Jalen Daniels. And, oh, yeah. and the cool part of it all is like even though he is that that guy who can be, you know, the guy right now, he still does have a high ceiling with his his big arm and, and everything that he can provide from that standpoint. And I think, you know, going into a year where he's kind of more expected to be the guy and, and building off that confidence, like just the last couple of games you have there where you perform well each and every one, like that has to be um, so impactful headed into an off season where you, you are a confident guy and, and, it's hard not to, uh, I think, 
fall in love with the guy he is in, in terms of being a teammate or being somebody who at that position, it, there is such a leadership aspect. And, and I have no questions that he can be that guy. And I'm joined now by Derek Knoll, one of our analysts over at Blue Wings Rising. Derek, to start us off with football, what is your biggest, your favorite, or you think the most impactful story for Kansas football this year? Texas. That's easy, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure this is the answer you're getting from quite a few people, but um, yeah, just beating Texas after everything else that happened, you know, it's the biggest, I think it's the biggest story. Obviously, you know, getting better every year and the improvements that you already saw and a little bit of consistency under the new coaching staff and whatever is pretty great, but beating Texas is 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 the story for me um, and the way that they did it and the, the last play, of course, and then, you know, <laughs> the the national attention that it got and just rubbing it in Texas's face in every possible way, um, especially when they're, you know, they're, they're hightailing it to something better, but you can't beat Kansas football. So good luck with Alabama. That'll be fun for you. So um, yeah, Texas is the answer for me. Yeah. I mean, and, and there has been some sort of variation from, from several people, but it is kind of one of those things. There's a bunch of different ways you can talk about the Texas story, because I think the point that you made is probably the biggest one. This wasn't like the David Beatty being text beating Texas because, you know, Texas literally like handed them the ball five times on right. really stupid plays. And like, like this, this was not an instance where Kansas was able to take advantage of really stupid boneheaded moves by Texas. This was Kansas coming out, playing and, and dominating large portions of that game. But then, you know, the talent differential that Texas has compared to Kansas kind of allowing Texas to get back in. It was a hard fought game. It was one that if you had looked at prior, you know, prior iterations of this team, when Texas comes back and takes the lead in overtime, I don't know that most Kansas teams, especially in the last decade, would have had the, the toughness that they needed to, to be able to come back and actually win that game. Um, like you can talk about how under Beatty, you know, I, if, if I remember correctly, they went down and kicked a field goal to tie the game and send it into overtime and then were able to drive down and kick a field goal to win it. But it is one of those things where like, you know, Beatty teams and less Miles teams were not known for being able to take big punches in the mouth and be able to come back and actually win those games. And the fact that Kansas did that not once, but twice in that game against Texas shows like how grounded this team was and how well this team was able to kind of roll with those punches. So yes, I, I agree. Like the Texas game is easily the, the quote unquote right answer, but you know, there's a lot of things that came out of that game that make it really, really easy um, to talk about it multiple times. Yeah. I mean, I go, I go back, I went down to the university of Texas for the first time um, with one of my buddies, actually, when I was at KU in the late nineties, uh, you know, we were working for the, the radio station KJHK at the time, and they they sent us down there for a uh, for a women's basketball game, um, and uh, so that we were we were put up in the hotel and we wandered around the campus and around Austin for a while. And my buddy, um, he said, "This place is the birthplace of money," and <laughs> ever since then, it's like, yeah, I mean, look at it. Oh my and gosh! Then, <laughs> Kansas comes in with you know, what, what the fraction of the budget, like a tiny little, you know, and, and, you know, has a huge lead on them and uh, forces Texas to make that comeback. And then, like you said, after getting punched in the, you know, gut again, you know, the, the conversion at the end is just amazing. So that's the story for me. And I am joined now by Scott Chasen. He is co-host of the drive over on WIBW in Topeka. Scott, um, for the to kind of wrap up the season, what was your biggest, the most important, or the best story from the football team this year for Kansas? Uh, well, for me, I think you have to go back to the Oklahoma game because there was a lot to like about the first year of the Lance Leipold era, finding Jalen Daniels, especially the way it ended. But if you kind of go back to that time, there was not going to say uncertainty around Lance Leipold around the time of the Oklahoma game, but there were question marks of like, is this team watchable? Should I tune out for the rest of the year? And that was the real kind of first burst of energy, of excitement. The clock went out in the stadium at one point. Kansas was milking every second off the play clock, you know, just shortening the game. Uh, and it took, you know, some really, I guess, some dramatics, some Heisman dramatics almost by Caleb Williams just to even, you know, give Oklahoma the, the game. And there was a controversial call at the end that 
you know, it, it was just a lot of progress for Kansas in a short amount of time. And yeah, look, uh, you don't get to tell the story of Kansas football this season without talking about Jalen Daniels and his emergence and pulling the red shirt and all that. And I'm sure people will say that is the biggest story. Uh, but that Oklahoma game, I think that was, again, turning point is too strong, but that was a real pivotal moment uh, for Lance Leipold and that staff early in the season. And as a funny aside, I moved into my new apartment the day of that Oklahoma game. So it was one of the ones I was not at this year. And watching that game on my phone, I was a little distracted and threw the keys to my apartment down a garbage chute. So that's how focused uh, I was on what was going down with that Oklahoma game. I had to get new keys. So you can add that on to the biggest story. I guarantee no other beat writer will uh, will have that. Oh, no, no, of course not. But no, you are Mm -hmm. right. Like that was because I went to that game and kind of doing the preview of that game. And like the question was. Does does Kansas lose by twenty one or do they lose by fifty? Like that that was yeah. the thought, and that was you know like I literally went into the preview for that one, be like, hey, what does Kansas have to do to make it so this isn't a laugher at halftime? Um, and the way that they fought, the way that they dictated, and and I think that's where you really saw the strategic mind and how Lance Leipold was taking advantage of the situation and like, like playing to the game because they slowed everything down, you know. Prior to that, and honestly, like in the Texas game, they went super fast. They tried to, you know, they played super up-tempo. They tried to do everything they possibly could uh, to take advantage of things that they were seeing from the Texas side. So the fact that they played a completely different style and the way that they played that and the way that they played defense, and like it just seemed like they knew what was going to happen and they knew how they had to approach it. And they almost executed it to where they needed to. You know, it is that <laughs> that is definitely a controversial call. I still maintain mm-hmm. that it was a uh, it, it was a fumble that should have been brought back to the spot, but that's okay. Um like that was like you said the first inkling that maybe they had something going here and it really was just a matter of. Now, granted, we followed that up with a hey, they've got to try to remain competitive against Oklahoma State and they got absolutely walloped, which mm-hmm. I think is why that Texas game was so important after the fact. But you're right that Oklahoma was kind of the first inkling of what the Lance Leipold era was going to be. Yeah. And look, all coaches are liars, um, especially my time uh, writing more. It, you dealt with this more, but I asked Lance Leipold, or it might've been Andy Kotelnicki. I can't remember in the preseason. I just asked about tempo and slowing down the tempo. And if that'd be something they do against these teams, and, and the answer I was given, it was like, well, we'll play at different tempos and we wouldn't, you know, necessarily go slow. But you saw it the second that game started. I mean, when they were they were milking the play clock, like I've seen teams do that before for stretches of time, but I guess it worked so well. Oklahoma it felt like kept going three and out or just giving the ball right back. They were unable to get into a rhythm, which I think really frustrated a young quarterback and really frustrated an offense that was trying to figure it out. Um, I just thought flat out, Kansas outcoached Oklahoma that day. Kansas for a large majority of the game and with every player on the roster, pretty much except one who just happened to make uh, a tremendous play, outplayed Oklahoma that day. And yeah, no, it was it was an exciting game and there were signs of emergence pretty much all around the roster. So um, defensively, Devin Neal, obviously, there was a lot to like about Kansas this season. And I think it's part of the reason why people are optimistic about the future. Yeah, and and kind of to your point, like they they did go slow against Oklahoma because like that first drive took almost ten minutes off the clock, which was absolutely fantastic for Kansas to set that tone the way they wanted to play it. But but to your point, like in the Texas game when it got close, they really slowed down the tempo and tried to run out the clock there. It seemed like that was their their go to when they realized you know that they needed to slow things down and and I mean you know that's that is one of the strategies that you take right when you're trying to reduce the number of possessions which gives you an opportunity to take advantage of that mm-hmm. variance to stay in those games when you're, when you're out. Yeah. Next. So it, it made perfect sense, you know, and, and kind of to your point, coaches will tell you what they, what they think you need to hear at the time, not necessarily yeah. what the absolute truth is. So, Well, a, a coach is never going to say, Hey, yes, our team is worse than some of these other teams. Right. <laughs> so we're going to try and use a weird strategy to win the game, but no, it's brilliant. You know, why shouldn't you absolutely grind the game to a halt? If Kansas and Oklahoma each have 20 chances to score, Oklahoma is going to score more than those, you know, more often than Kansas. That's a lot of possessions. Now, if Oklahoma and Kansas each have eight chances to score, okay, now you've got some opportunities for some weird stuff to happen. And so in football, especially time of possession is very much overrated because a lot of the time you're running out the clock, you're going, you know, the other team's going faster because they're losing. um, And that's why that matters. But 
just like you mentioned, a first drive that wipes out almost the entire first quarter, especially when you get the ball right back a couple times, you can really frustrate an opposing offense, especially when you are not the better team and you're trying to find that edge any way you can. So, no, I thought it was impressive. And I actually thought the game plan of Kansas, there were a number of times where they jumped on teams that maybe didn't expect it. You know, Duke and Coastal Carolina, those were games that Kansas whether or not they were in control of. Certainly they led those games early. They were competitive in those games for a while. And I thought that was a sign of progress too. For sure. And I'm joined now by Mike Vernon, otherwise known as the Scoopmeister. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. So uh, give me your best, your biggest, or your favorite football story for the year. Best, biggest, favorite football story from the year? Any of the above, yep. It's got to be it's a Texas game, you know, um, I, I'm sure everyone said it, but I grew up in Houston uh, or surrounded by Texas fans. I have future in-laws who are big Texas fans, uh, but it was just so fun to have that happen. That's the kind of game, the kind of win that is going to inspire a lot of hope and energy and momentum for the fan base. And uh, I think generally my understanding is that the the timing couldn't have been better as well for fundraising. When you look back at wherever Kansas football is 10 years from now, I look at, I would have to think that Texas game will be one of the major pivot points if it does get turned around. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny because we probably said the same thing about the the David Beatty Texas win as well, right? Like it was like a, you know, the fact that this feels like, you know, it's a it's a, like a point that we're going to be looking at, like we're going to be talking about it forever. And I actually made the comment at the time that the, of the David Beatty win, it was like, we are either going to be talking about that win because it's the only thing in a in a decade long period that went really well for the Jayhawks, right, or it right. was the thing that started the turnaround. And and I feel like right. this one is kind of a similar sort of thing, right? It's like, uh, you know, I, I think that there's been enough that we are, or at least most of the people that I've talked with and myself are fairly confident that there's something happening with this Kansas football program. The question is how you know how long it's going to take and how good they're actually going to get at some point. But it feels like this is a, a difference in direction, whereas. You know, the the David Beatty win over Texas is like, you know, it was that thing that we were afraid of. It's like the one good blip in a decade long of just horrible performances by the football team that everyone's going to be talking about that because, like, how the heck did Texas lose that game? Um, you know, and <laughs> so, yeah. Look at the two – look at the difference in the two wins, though. You know, the, the Beatty one was – felt a lot flukier. You know, that was a game where – you know, you're in Lawrence, dead crowd, turnovers, crazy low scoring. This game was like Texas came back. They responded, and KU just didn't fold. They kept going. Right. And they looked – it wasn't like – you know, that Beatty one, what did – they barely scored. Was it like – what was the score? It was like 17-14 or, or something like that. It, yeah, it was like yeah, – it, it was, was not very goal. much. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is like – that this was like genuine competence uh, to, to pull it off like that. The other thing that's worth noting and that we could look back on is certainly the beginning of stadium fundraising. I don't know if anyone has mentioned that, but I think that's a really important thing to solidify the future of this program. You can keep talking about being all in on football, but it's time for K to put its money where its mouth is. A lot of people say when first, that hasn't worked. We've tried it. Right. <laughs> but, you, you've got to be able that, to get the wins in order to do the win first. So the administration understands that they're trying to put their money where their mouth is, and, and I think could be really critical. Uh, also, looking long term at where KU ends up. Yeah, for sure. And as everybody is sharing their favorite stories from Kansas football, you too can get stuff from your favorite school from fabulous sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel has the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, a whole bunch more. They have over 120 different schools. And of course they have the Kansas Jayhawks. Absolutely fantastic line. Look, this is the football episode. Um, they don't have any football specific stuff, but they do have the Warhawk. 
um, you know, on a shirt. They have the long leg Jayhawk as well on a shirt, or I'm sorry, on a on a hoodie. They have a whole bunch of really great Kansas stuff. And if you like any of the other schools, or if you just are browsing around the website, I'm sure you're going to find plenty of things that just look absolutely fantastic. I have way too much home field stuff. I'm always looking to get more because there's like 15 or 20 different things that I really, really want on my list that uh, I haven't had an opportunity to get yet. And they're all from a bunch of different schools. And of course, they're in the middle of Big New Saturday season four, uh, you know, opportunity to get a bunch of different schools as well. New ones that are coming in. So I'm sure you are going to find something that you absolutely love. If you go to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHALK12, you can get 15% off your entire first order and all orders over $100 have free shipping. Again, that is promo code CHALK12. We'll get you 15% off of everything that you get from the store. Doesn't matter if it's Kansas or not. It's fantastic stuff. I highly recommend it. Go head on over there and make sure you find something for you today. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. And I'm joined now by Jesse Newell. He is the new Kansas City Chiefs beat writer over at the KC Star. But you guys know him because he has been covering the Kansas Jayhawks for quite a long time. Jesse, your best, biggest or favorite Kansas football story from the season. You know, um, I, I think most people are, are going to say the Texas game. Obviously, that was the most memorable. I can just remember uh, trying to make my way to the field through the fans that were coming out of uh, you know, Daryl K. Royal, Texas Memorial Stadium. So it was like hard for me to get to the field because they were coming out. And then Texas made the crazy rally. So everybody was kind of gathered underneath watching the television, deciding whether to come back in or not. And then this is a real moment. I actually was on the field video recording the Kansas sideline in case uh, KU won. So I could put up a video of it. So I didn't watch the game winning play. Uh, all I had was a sideline reaction, but kind of out of the corner of my eyes, like, man, that plays dead. You know, the Texas fans are going nuts. It sure looks like somebody's kind of running around, you know, Jalen Daniels running with it, running for his life out there. And then just to have the video and see Kansas people celebrate. And what's crazy is I didn't know it was Jared Casey uh, until, you know, 10, 20 minutes later after I'd recorded everything, I saw him run across the field. But again, nobody knew who Jared Casey was. Right. <laughs> um, until that night. I mean, it was so funny. I got. I remember I got up to the press box and one of the longtime um, Texas beat writers was writing his story. And, you know, it's just one of those moments where he turns to me and goes, hey, I'm writing my story. Um, all year, you, you know, Jesse, I, I want to ask you a question. All year, have you been calling Jared Casey a fullback or a tight end? I just... I just want to make sure I've got it right. And I turned to him and I go, Who's Jared I gotta Casey? be, I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. I didn't know Jared Casey was on the roster until tonight. And so, I mean, if you want to talk about David versus Goliath, Kansas versus Texas, Jared Casey versus every five-star that Texas has ever had. Uh, that was the story of the year, but to me, Jared Casey was the story of the year. Um, obviously Lance Leipold and his development and, and, you know, hopefully people talked about that too. Uh, it sure seems like um, this is the sort of, I, I guess I'll use the word competence. Uh, this is the sort of competence that KU has been really wanting for a long time when it comes to the football program, where you have somebody who has a steady hand, who's not going to panic, who's going to stay the course, all those sorts of things. And Lance Leipold has provided that along with a little bit of a recruiting boost when it comes from, at least from the transfer portal and, and people being excited about that. But uh, yeah, the Jared Casey story for him to come out of nowhere and then to back it up after those weeks to make one handed catches. Uh, KU was basically down to no scholarship tight ends at the end of the season. And he's still doing his Applebee's commercials and becoming a viral sensation on college game day. Uh, his parents story meeting up with them. Um, they actually live in a small town where a bunch of my family, uh, you know, is really close to where they're from uh, out there in Western Kansas uh, to meet his family and kind of see their journey with it. Uh, to me, the story of the year is Jared Casey and him being able to deliver a, a moment for Lance Leipold in this Kansas football program that will not be 
forgotten for a long time. So for his ascension, Jalen Daniels did great. Lance Leipold, kind of a steady hand. And a quick story on Lance Leipold, I will remember this too. You know, I've been through a lot of these coaches, and um, a lot of the Kansas coaches, they get in this situation, and they think they can handle it, and then they start to lose, and then they start to panic. And you see panic things happen. You know, you see Charlie Weiss boot a bunch of people off the team. You see David Beatty um, become the punt returner coach and the quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator. You see people get uncomfortable, and then they, they try to do too much. And I do remember, okay, you got bludgeoned by Iowa State. I mean, they went up there. They were not competitive. It was like so yeah, many other years. I was at that game. <laughs> yeah. It and, and I mean, it, it, it was bad. It was, it, was, it was as bad as, you know, many of the other games in the past. And I just remember KU was about to have its bye week the next week. And we asked Lance, you know, what do you do with this? How do you change things up? What's going to be um, the game plan moving forward? And he looked up. He said, guys, we scheduled this out Thursday, Friday. What we're, you know, what the coaching staff is going to do for the bye week. And we're sticking to that. You know, you don't change things because things go awry. Again, I thought that showed something about Lance Leipold there because in that situation in the past, I think a lot of the previous Kansas coaches would have panicked, tried something different, got to shake things up on the bye week, got to bring guys in extra, got to do something different from what they've done in the past. And Lance Leipold basically just looked at us and said, guys, I've been here before and I know what works and I have confidence in myself in knowing I know what works. So I'm not going to change up what I've done before, and I'm going to stick to the plan. And I think you saw the fruits of that later in the season. They stuck to the plan. They stuck with their development. And then those last three games for Kansas were all competitive, including that huge Texas win. So those are some of the memories that kind of popped to mind immediately. Obviously, Devin Neal was a great story as well. Uh, Andy Kotelnik, the offensive coordinator. So many offensive coordinators have been hyped for KU in the past. And I think uh, Andy Kotelnik actually delivered on that. I think he'll be a head coach here within a couple of years. But uh, the Jerry Casey moment and then the Lance Leipold moment, one of the lowest moments of the season. Uh, those are the sorts of things that are going to be, uh, I'll remember from the 2021 season for a long time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, kind of, kind of to go back to what you talked about with Lance Leipold after the Iowa state game, like I think in the past, we've seen those types of moments in year two of the coach. And like, I think it helped that it was year one. And honestly, it was like year negative one because of the timing of when he came in. I think that helped a lot, but from everything that I've heard, everything that I've seen, you know, everything that I know about Lance Leipold and what he's done in his track record, I don't know if this has happened, if this had happened in year two. I don't know that it would have been any different than what actually happened this year. And so I do think that that kind of talks to the kind of program that he runs, that consistency. And that's been his message the entire time, right, has been consistency. Um, you know, we looked at this over on Blue Wings Rising. Like, that was one of the things that he actually – you know, talked about and, and who they were looking for and why like Jalen Daniels didn't start the year because they were looking for the guys that could give you the best floor, that he could be the most consistent. Whereas in the past, what Kansas has done with all of their personnel decisions um, is typically to go with the guy that has the biggest upside. So if you hit that, you know, lightning in a bottle, it's going to be as good as it possibly can, not, you know, being able to handle the fact that most of the time that inconsistency was making it even worse. And so that's, I think, the thing that that Leipold brought and why we got to see, you know, stuff like the Jared Casey story with the, you know, a, a preferred walk-on being able to come on and have such a huge uh, role in a big game like that because of the development that happens when you are doing the same thing week in and week out and not changing the way that you do things, trying to always catch that lightning in the bottle. Yeah, and I just think it speaks to a bigger point, which is I think a lot of times in the past, because of the circumstances, whether it was they just fired a previous coach and there was a huge buyout, so they were limited by money, whether it was just the program was in shambles, so they really didn't have a very deep hiring pool, um, whether it was just the AD falling in love with a candidate, even though it wasn't a very good fit. I think KU got in a situation where they were reaching for their next head coach, yeah. You know, whether it was inexperience, whether it was previous failings, whether it was personality. Um, you know, But this whole thing, when it played out between Munkin and Leipold, at the moment it did, which was kind of awkward during spring ball, but it did leave KU in this sort of advantageous situation with a new AD in Travis Goff, where they were sort of the top dog. They were the top job and they got two really good candidates down to the wire, um, you know, potentially to sort of compete for their job. And um, that's where it just feels like Lance Leipold is a little bit different because if you don't have that experience or you don't have that long-term success, or you haven't been a college coach your whole career, or, or you, don't understand what it's like when things get really gnarly and, and, and you start to question if it's going to work at Kansas, that's really where you can get sideways. And again, you, you face people like me out there where I'm, I'm questioning, yeah, I'm saying, Hey, what's going on here? You know, why is there no progress? Why are you getting blown out? I mean, some KU fans went to that Iowa state game and are disappointed. So yeah. I, I, I think 
we can all sit here and talk about how in the best of moments when you get hired, you can stand up the podium and say, I'm going to do things this way. I'm going to stick to the plan. Nobody's done it this way, the foundation wise. And that all sounds great in theory. And I'm sure you believe you're going to follow through with it. Something is different. It's kind of the old Mike Tyson quote, you know, like everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And the Iowa state game was two uppercuts to the mouth for Lance Leipold. And so, you know, for him in that moment to say, Hey, I know who I am. I know how I've built teams in the past. I know how to get this thing turned around. And even though you can't see the light thing in the tunnel now, I know it's there. And I'm going to continue to move forward towards that without doing something crazy. And to be honest, Lance Leipold might have done something different in the past. He might, if, at Buffalo, he might have changed something up. At Whitewater, he might have. But to get an experienced coach who's been through this before and had to rebuild programs before, I think Kansas really benefited from that in that scenario. And like I said, I think it showed there in the last three weeks. For sure. And I'm joined now by Brendan Dwarzinski. He is host of uh, 580 Sports Talk over in Topeka. Brendan, what is your biggest, your favorite, your best story from the Kansas football team this year? Well, from the Kansas football team, I mean, I think the answer is pretty obvious when it comes to beating Texas down in Austin. I mean, I don't know anyone who would say, well, it's anything but that. But I'm going to give you a, a different answer. I'm going to give you the postscript to that game to try to go a little bit off the beaten path because obviously, I mean, there are so many storylines. Jalen Daniels coming in and being the savior of the offense desperately needed. And I mean, you could tell when, and I like Jason Bean as an athlete, but when Jalen Daniels came in, that was a different offense. We saw that the last three games of the season. Jared Casey becoming a superstar and Applebee's pitch man. Obviously, that's a big deal. I mean, everything that came with the Texas game. But I'm going to give you what happened after that Texas game. And the fact that KU, after years and years of having moments where you thought, oh, maybe this is coming. Maybe the breakthrough is coming. Maybe this is starting to be progress. And then a week later, they'd get their ass kicked. This year was different. The big win came. The big moment came. And then KU kept playing well. KU played really well the last three weeks of the season. The win over Texas, you had two more close games after that, West Virginia, and also against TCU, who has, for whatever reason, been KU's easiest opponent to face over the last decade or so, right next to Texas, weirdly enough. But it's the fact that it actually felt like progress was being made with this team. And honestly, the postscript to my postscript might be, KU's portal work after that. I mean, bringing in Kai Thomas and Sevian Morrison and, and Grant on the defensive side, all these guys on, on both sides of the ball, the fact that progress is actually being made right now. And it's not just, oh, look, it's little old Kansas football doing something funny. Oh, they beat Texas. How funny is that? Let's post memes on Twitter and Reddit. No, this is actual progress at this point. This team has found a quarterback that is going to at least ideally, be entrenched with this team for the next couple of years. They found an offensive system that works. They found offensive pieces that when they're on the field, they are actually successful. You talk about Devin Neal, obviously. Throw in Jared Casey. Jared Casey is the best tight end on the team for KU, and he was a walk-on fullback, which, hey, I don't really care where you come from. As long as you can play, you're all good with me. So they found the pieces. They were able to string together three games in a row that were well played. They won score losses in back-to-back games, which sounds like damning with faint praise, but there's been very little to praise for the last 12 years. So the fact that progress is being made even beyond that Texas game, the fact that it is more than just a series of memes, it is more than just a bunch of laughs at the expense of the burnt orange, it's the fact that Lance Leipold and Andy Kotelnicki and Brian Borland and all their assistants actually have something going right now. And granted, if you go into 2022 and all of a sudden KU only wins two games again, all right, the feelings will probably feel like they were a little bit hollow this off season, but considering where this program was when he took over, he being Lance Leipold and the fact that we saw legitimate offensive progress really all year. And then a more cohesive type of progress at the end of the season. I mean, that's overwhelmingly positive as far as I'm concerned. And that really stands out more than any one thing is the fact that we got a stretch of very watchable, very competitive KU football at the end of this past season, which we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. The memes and everything that came out of the Texas game were absolutely fantastic. But you are right that it was more, you know, it was more to it than just that. You know, um, yes, you could theoretically make an argument that Kansas could win two games and we could still see progress with them keeping every game close or something else to that effect. But you, you are right that it feels like there needs to be some sort of additional progress this year. 
um, for it to not feel like, you know, the David Beatty Texas win. And then there was huge expectations the next year. And it was pretty obvious that he was kind of weighing over his head at that point because he pumped up his own expectations. I, I think the smartest thing that Lance Lightbolt did was coming out of that, you know, talking about and, and you know, I, I made mention of, of how he talked about this. You know, and, and I actually wrote an article over at Blue Wings Rising talking about this, how the feeling of this is different because it's not all of a sudden like Lance Leipold is pretending like he has all the answers, that everything's going to turn around immediately. By, by setting expectations low, talking about the fact that they still have a lot of work to do, they still have to turn a lot of things around, he's actually kind of shown that that maturity and that understanding of what it is that Kansas is facing trying to turn this team around. And you have the confidence then that he's not going to come in overconfident, that they're not going to just assume that, you know, things turned around because of Texas and because of those games that they were able to, to stay close in. And so I think that's the biggest thing to come out of that game. Not even just the fact that they beat Texas because, you know, Texas had a lot of problems last year. Like there was, that, that 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 win for the Jayhawks was just as much Texas screwing up royally as it was Kansas playing much much better than anybody gave them credit for initial or going into that game. So you know it is definitely one of those things where what they do off of that is going to be the biggest story. You know we 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 talked about it when David Beatty you know beat Texas. Like you what what you don't want to have is this to be the biggest thing you know, in an entire, in like a two decade span, because then Kansas goes back to being irrelevant. And that's basically what happened. Um, you know, the hope is that now this is a, something that they build off of something that they can go ahead and do. And, and like you said, the transfer portal and everything else that they did kind of building off of that, you get the feeling that not only do, does it feel different as a KU fan or as, you know, someone watching the program from the outside, it feels that, that recruits see it that way, that potential transfers see it that way, that they see something happening. Obviously, there's still a lot to be written about what that actually turns into, but it's not just fans grasping at straws, desperately trying to find something to be positive about. It feels like there are plenty of other people. You know, I've I've heard other analysts talking about, hey, this Kansas team looks like they could surprise some people this year. Now that may you know that may still be three wins, or they may be like a a win against a team that you wouldn't expect. But it, there's definitely something happening here, and you know, it's not just people in Lawrence that are actually noticing. And you made another good point there, too, that I, I want to expand on. And even more big picture than just, hey, we got a stretch of a couple really competitive games and a big win on the road against Texas. Or, hey, the transfer portal's working out. Lance Leipold gets it. And I think that that was sort of the hope when he was hired that, hey, this is a guy who has rebuilt programs before. He's also been to the top of the mountain, granted at the D3 level. But that was a beast of a program he built at Wisconsin Whitewater he took Buffalo from a nothing program a truly nothing program to turning out NFL players every year and winning eight nine even ten games some seasons but he we saw when he got hired okay this is a guy who clearly knows how to build a program but you take those examples when you get to KU and you can see it in play and even if you just go to the end of the season okay you have to start Jalen Daniels. You have that big win against Texas. Well, Jalen got to start at the end of the year, even when you ran the risk of losing out on that red shirt. Remember, we had all these discussions, and there was a lot of chatter at the end of the year. Well, do you play Jalen Daniels that last game? Because if you don't, you can keep that red shirt, keep an extra year of eligibility. What would you rather do? Tell your team, hey, we're going to punt on this game to skirt around the rules and maybe get extra eligibility at the end, depending on what our quarterback individually decides to do. Or let's tell the guys, hey, we're going to go try to win these games. We're, we believe in you. We're going to win these games. Lance Leipold got it right. Go to the end of the Texas game, going for two. And we've heard Leipold say this multiple times. Hey, with the new rules, why go to the two-point conversion shootout thing? Just go for the win. How many coaches in KU's recent past would have done that and understand just basic football game theory? Not well, many. To be we, fair, seen... Les Miles did it the prior year. but Well, yes, that's also <laughs> that's also true, but... I'm good. Fair enough. Yeah. Les did do that. But, and that was part of Les's, you know, whole aura, you know, it's the Mad Hatter and all that. So I, I give him credit for that. But at the same token, by the same token, Les also made many decisions, many off the field that I would not put nearly as much trust in. Whereas right. Leipold has done things, I think, that deserve that kind of trust. You know, going with a guy like Casey in those last couple games, Jared Casey's one of the best players on the field for the last three games for yeah. KU, which is crazy. Again, walk on fullback and then you go to things like the portal and you go to uh recruiting even and there's been so much discussion on social media and on the boards about oh well, you know in-state recruiting for KU it's really behind and all this as bad as KU has been on the field 
I don't really think it can be understated just how miserable in-state recruiting has been. And, and we know this. I mean, people who pay attention to the program and who may pay any attention to recruiting know that. I mean, it really seemed during the Beatty era like there were no schools in Kansas outside of Lawrence Free State. Okay? I mean, they're just – it didn't exist. And if you go and read, you know, the, the 24-7 message boards or rivals or whatever, you will see people say, hey, KU might not be getting recruits out of Wichita or out of the more rural parts of the state still. That might not be there yet, but they are trying. They are putting in a legitimate effort to make that happen. They are getting visits. They are talking to recruits. Uh, first week of June here, first full week of June, Joe Odding, kid from Topeka. I, I know him well. I've called many of his high school football and basketball games. He just committed on June 7th to go to Notre Dame. Who was in on him first and was talking to him and actually developed a good relationship before the Fighting Irish swooped in? KU. KU was in on him early on. I mean, they are trying, and that's a symbol of a coach and a coaching staff that just get it. And this team is still not going to win a lot of these battles. I mean, that's something we have to keep in mind. The perception is still not good about this program, but you're right. It's getting better. I mean, these are things that recruits notice. Kids down in Wichita, because that's where a lot of this recruiting debate came up, they notice, hey, KU wasn't recruiting us at all. KU wasn't coming to these schools for a long time. They did not care. This was K-State territory or, or Oklahoma or Oklahoma State territory for a long time. Or Iowa State, you know, Brees Hall's a Wichita kid. He ended up at Iowa State. KU's here. They're making an effort. Uh, Jonathan Wallace has been all over the recruiting map trying to bring guys in. He has been one of the best recruiters KU's had in a long time next to, you know, Tony Hull in recent memory anyway. That effort and that ability to make some sort of positive and lasting impact. That's the lasting impact that I have from this season is that they get it. And it's not always going to work out. And KU only won two games this past season and has lost a bunch of recruiting battles still and didn't get everyone they wanted out of the transfer portal, but they get what it takes to build a program and you can build on that and make that a long-term foundation. For sure. And I'm joined now by Steve Fetch, my former co-host here on the podcast. Fetch, um, to wrap us up for the season, let's get started with football. What was your biggest, best, or your favorite story from the Kansas football team this year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of people are probably going to say the, you know, the Texas win. Um, I guess I'll I'll piggyback off that and just kind of say that the momentum that that provided. You know, they had a, a couple of pretty good performances afterwards, and um, I think have done pretty well. Um, recruiting and most notably in the transfer portal. And um, I think that that hopefully is a springboard to next year. So um, yeah, kind of that, that Texas win, but also kind of what it led to. Um, I think some of the changes recently too are going to be helpful for Kansas. I mean, the, you know, getting rid of the initial counter thing and just kind of going to a straight 85 man limit, I think is going to help get those numbers up. Obviously it's going to help the bigger schools a little bit more as these changes tend to do, but I do think it's going to be helpful for Kansas. And I think their work in the transfer portal is going to, you know, see some dividends down the road. I mean, you just look at this year's high school class in, in Kansas and in Kansas city, it's a, a pretty good year for local recruits. And, you know, a lot of them don't seem to be like they're going to be going to Kansas, but you know, that recruiting time that they're putting in with those guys now, hopefully, you know, if they don't get playing time at whatever school they pick, or, or maybe they want to transfer closer to home or whatever, you know, those relationships that they've put in, um, or the, the work that they've put in and the relationships they've developed hopefully will, you know, provide a, a springboard in the next couple of years as well. So um, I guess rather than just, you know, one moment, I think it's just kind of the fact that finally things seem to be getting on track. Finally, it seems like they're getting, you know, big 12 quality players at all the positions. Um, you know, you can have actual depth so that you don't have to have starters playing special teams as much anymore. Um, I think things just, just tend to be, trending upwards, frankly. Yeah, for sure. And, and and I think the point that you make about, you know, even all these guys that aren't going to, you know, come to Kansas, they're, they're going somewhere else. But, you know, you think about Kai Thomas, you know, who is transferring in now after his time, you know, elsewhere and, and the work that Kansas put in and then the differences that we're seeing now, he's transferring to Kansas after having been heavily recruited, you know, having some sort of contact with Kansas prior to him going off to college. Um, you know, that that is definitely something with how important the transfer portal is being like you can't afford to just ignore guys because you assume you're not going to get them. There is an opportunity for you to get them on a second or third look potentially as they move from one school to another. And so, you know, I, I do think that that's a really, really good point that, you know, we could look at initial uh, 
initial recruiting classes now and like seeing all these guys that are leaving and, you know, all the, 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 the talk and the worry about, you know, Kansas not recruiting very well locally, but, you know, you put in all the work now and kind of stay in contact with, or at least remain friendly with. So that way, if, if someone decides to transfer, you can immediately jump in and say, Hey, look, we still want you here. We, we still think you could make a really, really good impact for us here. So yeah, I do think that that's a huge thing, that that is something that is, you know, and, and, and I think that's the biggest thing that Lance Leipold has shown is that they know how to work the transfer portal. They know how to go get those guys that can have a big impact here that just didn't have an opportunity at the prior school that they were at. Yeah, and I think that they, you know, seem anyway after you're, you know, obviously not a very long amount of time, but seem like they're much better developers than previous regimes, which, um, you know, is obviously going to help win games, but I think also help recruiting, you know, guys who, maybe aren't the the four or five stars who can kind of go anywhere and be good wherever they go. But those guys who say, Hey, I can go to Kansas and, you know, maybe develop a little bit better than if I were going to go to a a similarly uh, positioned school. So that should help as well. And, and uh, you know, they should start beating more, you know, big 10 teams for recruits rather than, you know, ball state and Eastern Michigan and stuff like that, like seem to be the case with some prior regimes. For sure. And that does it for all of the guests we have coming on again. Big thanks to everybody who joined me today for this episode. Had a lot of fun doing it. Look, my favorite football story, unfortunately, has already been taken, so I'm not giving you guys anything new. I usually try to find one story at the end of this that hasn't been highlighted yet that I really, really want to talk about. And you know what? I mean, I, I guess I guess really the one, the main one to talk about that has not been brought up yet it really has just been the tenacity of the defense um you know we we saw from or i should say we talked about and i you know i talked about with scott i talked about with a few other people just how great this this team developed but i think the one thing that really happened towards the end of the year is like yes we saw that the offense was getting much more dynamic but the fact that the defenses or the way that the defense played was able to keep them in games late in the season um you know, that was as much about the defense as it was about the offense. And, and honestly, like that was, has been a big question for a really, really long time. Um, you know, how well this defense is going to go ahead and come together. There's a lot of questions coming into this year about what the defense can do. And, you know, you can always, you can point to things such as, um, you know, the defensive secondary, how it's a little thin at corner and they brought in a whole bunch of guys to try to shore that up. But I think what we saw is the ability for them to come together to create a scheme that works really well and to take advantage of the guys that they do have on the roster. So I fully expect Lance Leipold, Brian Borland, like I expect all of these guys to do what they need to do to go ahead and pull this together. But I think that was kind of the biggest thing, right? Like what we had not seen was those adjustments, Um, you know, and we have seen Kansas defenses before that have been okay, but that don't hold up because the offenses don't do their part. We have also seen offenses that can do fairly well, but a defense just gives up so many, so many points that the offense can't score every every drive. The fact that both of those were coming together and that the defense did, I think, a lot more than I think most people thought that they could, especially towards the end of the year, was absolutely fantastic for them. So, you know, um, again, I, I think my favorite ones were like the Texas game and kind of the stuff that come out of that game, like, you know, everything that was there. But I did want to highlight just how important it was for the defense to get everything together towards the end of the season. So, But that is going to go ahead and do it for us today for the football episode. We will be back tomorrow with our basketball episode. And then we will wrap up on Saturday with everything else. Um, You know, three consecutive days here of podcast episodes to wrap up our season. Our season finale does not mean the podcast is going away. Um, Normally I would take a longer break, but because I took a break, you know, early um, and we are now, you know, normally I'd be doing the the season finale earlier in the year. um, And so there would be a little bit of a time for a break before we have to come back to do previews as part of our 100 days till Kansas football. So we will be back with that next week um, already. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe. Get every single episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. 
We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network, covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. Just go over on Twitter at TEN12Network. You can get links to all the great shows. Um, we are also on the Anchor platform, so you guys can leave us a voicemail. Get your voice here on the show. promise that I'll go ahead and do that if I can. But go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message, and I promise that we'll get you there. But, again, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Between Two Bears, the newest 1012 Network podcast. Uh, this is Matt is Bear. I'm going to introduce my co-host, Evan Abair, uh, to give you a quick idea of what the show is about. Yeah, Between Two Bears is going to be a, it's going to be a great, sorry, Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid, Between Two Bears is going to be a great look at the silly and sometimes stupid side of Baylor sports. Hey, I'm going to try one more time. Between two bears. Okay, uh, Evan, Evan's going to go take a nap, um, but we are excited to join the 1012 Network along with the rest of their already great lineup of Big 12 podcasts. Check them out at 1012 Network on Twitter and us as well at Matt is Bear and at Evan Haybear. Uh, Sick'em Bears. Podcast Network.